Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. everyone. Uh, this is the Wednesday edition of Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, a, a particular good morning to all of our listeners in the Hartford, Connecticut area. Good morning to those of you listening on 94.1 FM, AM 1290. Why, why, why would I, might I, uh, have Hartford on my heart and mind this morning? Well, it would appear that yard sales in in the Hartford, Connecticut area are somewhat different than yard sales in the part of the country where I live. First of all, I'm not sure that anybody would pay $35 for a small porcelain bowl at a yard sale anywhere near where I live. But someone paid $35 at a Connecticut yard sale for a small porcelain bowl uh, now, maybe it was that treasure hunter actually had an eye for the value of the bowl. Maybe it was obviously those who selling it had no idea how much the bowl was worth. Turns out it is a rare 15th century Chinese artifact worth about mm, half a million dollars. So it's going to go up for auction at Sotheby's. And I just thought I would lift this up today as one of those local interest stories that emerge from time to time, that teach us some lessons. First of all, get grandma to tell you the stories of the dishes in her china cabinet. Like this seems like a really good thing to go and find out about. I feel like someone knew the story of that bowl, um, but that family that sold that bowl in that yard sale clearly did not know the story um, of of the origin of this uh small dish that was in someone's china chest and, you know, sold at a yard sale. Uh, It's also an opportunity for us to consider the treasures that are collecting dust right now, stored away in boxes in our attics or, yes, in those china cabinets. Um, What are the dust collectors that you've got right now? Consider those treasures that might be collecting dust. And what might it mean for kingdom advancement in this generation for you to convert some of that into cash and fund ministries that you value? Like, do it now, because trust me, the next generation, they're selling that stuff in a yard sale. That is what is happening to those dust collectors that you that you treasure, that you value, um, because that, that value, that treasure is not in the heart of the next generation. So it's going to be sold in a yard sale. So better you sell it now uh, and use it to fund ministries that you that you value to advance the kingdom in this generation. Uh, just an encouragement thought there today. And then for those of you who are always looking for the Jesus hook in every story that I tell here, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, or people sell for $35 at a yard sale. That's Carmen's edition there. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
oh, don't at me that I added something to Scripture. You know that that's not what I'm doing, trying to get us to think today about uh, about these things. All right, back to the words of Jesus. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, I've got Pastor Daryl Crouch waiting in the wings. It was one year ago today that the community where Daryl serves was um, rid, rent asunder by a tornado that struck the community. We're going to catch up on that. We're also going to talk with him about difficult issues, public debates, and the mission of God. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, March 3rd is uh, now kind of an infamous and tragic day, um, certainly in communities that have been devastated by deadly tornadoes in the last two years. On this day in 2019, a a violent tornado struck a community in Alabama. Um, And a year ago today, in a nighttime outbreak of deadly tornadoes, uh, Middle Tennessee was uh, was struck on this date um, just last year. Joining me now, Daryl Crouch. He serves in a community where the tornado um, touched down. Daryl, welcome back. Great to be with you, Carmen. Hope you're well today. I am well today. I am well today. Um, we had a litter of puppies born at my house two nights ago. There were seven, and now there are six. So there was some grief wow. last night. But but wow. you know, it's life. It's life and death, and it's reality. And yeah, talk with us about um, one year ago today. Um, you know, as a pastor in the community where you serve. Certainly, it was difficult. It was tragic, uh, devastation. We lost three lives here in our community, and certainly many homes were lost, and buildings, churches were hit, uh, schools were destroyed uh, that are still in disrepair and haven't been rebuilt yet. So you can still drive around town and drive around our county and see uh, wounds or scars from from the tornado. Um, but one of the things that we have seen and uh, like is not maybe uncommon to other communities, but we certainly have seen our community rise up and um, serve together sacrificially, love one another deeply, um, and um, really pursue the wholeness of everyone in our community with incredible uh, generosity and uh, sacrifice. And so we we had a small, or it wasn't terribly small, but just a, a a community a remembrance service last night, um, kind of in our city center. And um, it was just a wonderful time to see people with COVID um, uh, mm. constraints. Uh, we haven't seen one another uh, in a good while. And so it um, uh, it was just a really good time to see one another again and to remember the lives that were lost and to give thanks for a community that really loves well. So, you know my pastor. So um, when you talk about, you know, we haven't seen one another, we haven't been together um, in COVID, uh, he, he has warned us that when these restrictions are lifted, he's like, people look out because I'm going to need to hug some people. Like, <laughs> I know. I'm going to need, like, I'm going to need some of that. Um, yeah. So it's it's sweet. It's, um, it, there are these strange, sweet opportunities when we do gather, even, um, even over shared grief. Uh, there is a, there is a unity that is forged. Um, you have, uh, first of all, a new place where people can read what you're writing, the Our City blog, Daryl mm-hmm. Crouch at Substack.com. Um, 
Talk about one of the things you have posted there, and that is difficult issues, public debates, and the mission of God. What do you what what itch are you scratching in this piece? Well, uh, a friend of mine asked me, a pastor friend actually asked me a few weeks ago. He said, "You know, I, I know I know these issues are really important, but it seems like Jesus in Matthew eighteen gave us a little bit of guidance, you know, and how to how to grapple with one another." Uh, over difficult issues and how to deal with things that would create conflict between believers. And it just feels like we've lost our sensibilities about how we talk to one another in public about kingdom things. And um, so that just started me obviously thinking, and I I have a lot of questions about that as well. And so we we just see uh, Jesus-loving people taking off the gloves in public, it feels, uh, to to grapple over and fight over, contend with uh, very important issues that need addressed, uh, that need uh, we need to talk about these things. But it just feels like we're we're doing it in a way that's less than Christ-like in front of the world that really needs to see something better from us and something more clear about who Jesus is. And so this uh, this newsletter article was just uh, written to kind of work, uh, you know, like most writing we do. Uh, it's, it's us working through things and doing that uh, so other people may benefit. But um, uh, so it just led me to a few questions that I tried to an- ask and answer. Well, and when we when we think about that and we think about the ways in which we should be thinking about engagement, um, we have to remember who we are and then we have to adopt the mind of Christ. That's a couple of the things that you are addressing in here. So so touch on those briefly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I come back to quite often is Philippians uh, 2 when Jesus um, said he, he, this, this kenosis passage where he emptied himself of all the privileges and rights of deity. He, he did not consider them something to be held on to, but instead he became a bondservant. And so this this posture of humility marked Jesus's life and his ministry and empowered really was the the fuel in, in some sense of for his redeeming work for us. And so uh, sometimes I think um, and so so Paul said, I want you to have the same mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. I, I want that same posture, that same mentality to be in you that was in Christ. And so if you want to redeem the world, if you want to be a part of Jesus redeeming the world, if you want to join his kingdom work, then having the same mindset, the same mentality of humility and emptying yourself of any privilege that may be yours to uh, your right to hold on to, you freely give that up and die to yourself so that others would see Christ and be um, reconciled to God forever. And so having the end goal in mind, I think, is really important as we think about uh, the way we engage with one another over difficult issues. And so uh, humility is um, it's elusive for all of us. I understand that. None of us have achieved you know that. Uh, but that should be our aim, and I think it's not only our aim, but it's the means by which we make the kingdom impact we dream about. We're not going to convince anyone of anything, uh, significant or insignificant, by uh, being proud or arrogant uh, or condescending, um, in public or in private for that matter. That doesn't work in any personal relationships. Uh, it certainly doesn't happen in the public square. Um, we seem to revel those who make headlines with arrogance and um, a, pride, a prideful kind of language. 
uh, those get the headlines, but we really don't see making progress that way. And so we have to choose uh, how we want to be known and what we want to accomplish. All right. When we come back, I am going to ask um, Daryl to tell us about Charlie and other guys like Charlie, who, like mm. you and me, are just regular people who are, you know, frankly, called to change the part of the world that we live in. That's up next. Your mornings with Carmen. All right, I'm talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch. We are talking about blue-collar Christians. Um, Daryl, let's uh, let's kind of re- restart our conversation. Tell us about yeah. Charlie. And then um, what I really want you to differentiate in this conversation, because people can read the entire post at darylcrouch.substack.com. What I really want you to differentiate is sort of the, you know, we all encourage one another to do, quote-unquote, random acts of kindness. But this is really intentional kindness. This is about being intentionally kind over an extended period of time so that all kinds of people from every sector of our communities um, can bear out their influence together for the welfare uh, of the places where we live. No, I love that. And I appreciate you um, kind of uh, putting that, those brackets around it. I I think um, one of the things that we, we want to, we want to live just, you know, random, random acts of kindness are great. But they, they may not move the needle like we hope they will. And so we have to decide, as Charlie did, that how we're going to live our lives in such a way that we are daily following Jesus and we are making ourselves available to change the part of the world that God has put us into. And so that will require a faithfulness and a, a diligence um, that is not rooted really in an emotional charge that we may get from helping someone or simply being uh, available to help someone that may have a need in a moment, which is all, all those things are wonderful. But but to move the needle and to create systemic change in a community, to pursue the peace or the shalom of a community requires a diligence and a devotion that um, we saw in Jesus, frankly, but we also see in those who follow him. And Charlie was a wonderful example of that. Uh, He didn't need a lot of permission. He didn't need a a church to create a program for him. He didn't need, um, you know, an army of people, really, although uh, he was able to rally people to this cause of helping homeless men. And uh, he did it in a way that was frankly, profound and taught me a lot about what disciple-making really looks like. I I had in my mind that disciple-making is simply, you know, inviting people to a Bible study or small groups and, and teaching and preaching. I love that. And uh, that, that obviously the ministry of the Word is uh, central to who we are and what we do, but it's not everything. And um, Charlie was a student of the Bible, but he... Uh, he saw that his responsibility was to obey it. And uh, when he obeyed it, there was transformation that took place. It took place in his heart, in his life, but it also took place in other people's lives. And so um, I learned from Charlie that transformation happens through, through, you know, begins with the hands maybe more than it begins with the head. And uh, trying to convince people of something um, may not be as effective as uh, serving people and uh, seeing what God does through that um, intentional relationship over time. And uh, so we saw not only people helped, 
uh, through his ministry, but we saw other believers grow in grace together and live and learn what it looks like and learn what it means to live on mission with Jesus. One of the things that I just genuinely appreciate about Charlie and guys like Charlie is that they don't set about trying to make a big difference in a big place. They set about um, making the difference they can make in the place where they are. And some people may see that as a small difference in a small place, but it's a big difference um, in in the place and in the lives of the people where they are impacting um, this kingdom for the kingdom of God. And I don't I don't want us to ever lose sight of that. Um, I think that we we tend to think um, in celebrity ways, you know, in like big high profile ways today. And in reality, the work of the kingdom is being done in the king amidst the kingdoms of the earth by guys like Charlie. No question about it. We love to measure the macro. We love mm. we love big movement. Um, but big movement, uh, first of all, is is a long runway for, for one. But uh, the micro is where. Um, personal impact happens. And so I grew up in a church that, that frankly, we didn't grow a ton. We, we grew, you know, a bit over time. But the people that impacted my life, the Charlies that impacted my they changed my life. And so um, I don't know that I, as a kid or as a young adult, you know, really paid attention to all the metrics that uh, certainly are important. But the, the biggest metric for, for me and for you are the the people like Charlie who have invested in us and who have who have loved us and believed in us and served us and so um, invested their lives in that we would know Jesus and make Him known and so I, I would the, the the story of Charlie is not only uh, instructional to me but it should inspire each of us to like you say do what God has given us to do in the place that He's given us now and. Um, be faithful in these little things because they're not that little. Uh, they really do change the world. And they change um, the eternal trajectory for individuals. And then, you know, by doing that, um, you know, it changes potentially the trajectory of a family. The You know, the life mm-hmm. of the child um, living in the home of the parent who's influenced by Charlie. Right. I mean, there there's stuff that we don't see and we have to remember that. So as we are sowing seeds of grace in the world today, um, you know, we're going to give God the glory. We're going to ask God to be the one who gives the growth. We're not going to worry after those things. We're going to be faithful, not just to do random acts of kindness, but to be really intentional um, about the kind of uh, community that we are cultivating by the ways that by the ways in which we are investing in it. Um, Daryl, we love the way that you're sure. investing in your community. Thank you so very much. Uh, I always encourage folks when we talk to check out everyoneswilson.org. Mm. And if you are now reading Daryl's new um, Substack newsletter, you also know he's kind of excited about what's going on in Charlotte, North Carolina. So check out forcharlotte.org. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, sort of want to know, I want to have some inspiration about what might take place in your own uh, community or city. Hey, Daryl, thanks as always mm-hmm. so much. Blessings on this um, on this day. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back.
All right, in the headlines today, you're going to read that Texas is 100% open, so is Mississippi. But just two weeks ago, both of those states were almost 100% paralyzed in uh, a deep freeze. The last time that we checked in with our next guest, Jim Dennison, uh, who is based in Dallas, rolling power outages were just starting. We now know um, that millions of Texans were not only without power, but their pipes froze and then burst. Um, And now there is a bit of a clean water crisis and uh, a desperate need for plumbers. So I want to celebrate plumbers who have headed to Texas from all across the country, um, highlighting, you know, again, the need for blue collar guys like Charlie that we just discussed in the last segment. I feel like everything's connected today. Doing good for your neighbor. Uh, Our 31 Days of Kindness Initiative. We are now doing the Kindness Always Initiative. You want to check that out at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, Jim Dennison is up next. We're going to check in with him first on how a Dallas church is helping to rebuild a mosque in the community. And, um, oh, yes, then um, yes, then Dr. Seuss, for those of you who've been waiting for that cultural commentary. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I see it on parents' faces all the time. The stress and strain of dealing with a difficult child who's bent on self-destruction. The pressure of dealing with an out-of-control kid lands squarely on mom, dad, and their marriage. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If you're struggling with your teen, you know the situation has the potential to pull families apart. Mom and dad, above all else, you need to protect your relationship. Make a commitment today that you'll do whatever you have to do to shelter and reignite the passion and respect in your marriage. Look at family struggles as something you both need to manage together. Stop the blame game. Don't avoid the pain and build in time to have fun. Keep your marriage strong. Find more parenting help from Mark Gregston at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. For those of you who are texting in this morning, um, thank you. Thank you for that. I will uh, make some comments about your text in just a moment. But joining me right now, Jim Dennison from the Dennison Forum. You can check out what we are discussing today at denisonforum.org. Jim, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. So good to be on with you today. How are you? Um, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And you? We are. Thank you. I will tell you in Texas, we will never take electricity and water for granted again. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, all right, let's talk about um, a post that um, that you have at denisonforum.org about a Dallas church helping to rebuild a mosque. This is one of those, um, you know, do what's right uh, for the good of your city kind uh, kinds of pieces. Yeah, it really is. It's really kind of fascinating, I think. So when we had the horrible winter weather down here in Dallas and really across the entire state, uh, there was a lot of damage, a lot of water uh, damage, a lot of uh, water pipes that burst, that sort of thing. Well, United Methodist Church in Denton, which is just north of Dallas-Fort Worth, started a GoFundMe campaign to help the Islamic Society of Denton pay for repairs to its building. Just one expression of what the minister at the church calls a long-standing friendship with the mosque. Well, there was a lot of reaction to that, as you might imagine here in the culture. Some people thought that they were endorsing a religion that expressly rejects the Trinity, of course, as Islam does. Others thought it was sending a signal of doctrinal compromise on biblical tolerance. My question is, wouldn't it build a relational bridge 
across which the gospel could travel, bringing the good news of Jesus' love to Muslims in our region? And if so, what does that tell us about relating to a counterculture, an anti-Christian culture, where we find ourselves today? So um, when we think about what good we can do for our neighbor and with our neighbors, you know, the one of the things that jumps out to me in the in the story is there was already a relationship. It's not as if when the mosque found itself in this kind of need, it was the very first time that these Christian neighbors had ever, you know, knocked on the door to establish a relationship. Talk about the importance of that. Yeah, terrific point. Thanks for bringing that up. If we don't have the previous relationship, we can look like we're taking advantage of the crisis. We can look like we're using it for some larger purpose or a bait and switch, that sort of thing. So it's really vital, isn't it, that we build relationships with the woman at the well, as you see in John 4, before the crisis comes, so that when the crisis comes, we've earned the right to meet felt needs so that we can meet spiritual need. Quick example of that, when I was in doctoral work at Southwestern Seminary way back in the day, my major professor had been pastor of a church in Tulsa years earlier earlier. They baptized every Sunday night for five years. We asked how they did that. Well, they figured out the needs in the culture. They built ministries to those needs. And then when people had those needs, they reached out to the church. And by meeting that felt need, they could meet the spiritual need and they could lead people to faith in Jesus. So ask, what needs could you be meeting today so that when the crisis comes, you're in position to speak the good news of God's love? Amen. Amen. All right. Can we jump topics? Um, Today at the Denison Forum, you um, are helping us sort through and think through the Bethany Christian Services um, policy change, I guess is the way uh, I will describe that. Um, For people who missed the conversation yesterday where we simply highlighted the headline, um, Jim, tell people what is happening with Bethany Christian Services And then if you would um, be so kind as to walk us through the way you have um, laid it out, because I, I just think the way you have framed this conversation will be very helpful for people. Well, thank you so much. So Bethany Christian Services is the largest Christian adoption agency in the United States. Now, they've been facing pressure, as all adoption agencies have recently, relative to government contracts. A good deal of their funding comes from government contracts to do foster care and adoption care, that sort of thing. And so in many, many states, there's this kind of pressure that if you won't adopt or allow foster care with LGBTQ parents, you can't have government contracts. And so that's been their struggle. That's been their pressure. In 2007, they specified that God's design for the family is a covenant and a lifelong marriage of one man and one woman. However, two years ago, the Michigan chapter of Bethany made a decision, changed its policy to begin placing foster children with same-sex couples. Earlier this week, they made that policy nationwide. They made the decision that they will allow same-sex couples to adopt children, to do foster care for children, and yet they're claiming that they are not violating their biblical principles and their Christian theology. That's the balance. That's the issue that I wanted to talk about. Clearly, we can discuss government intrusion on religious liberty. We can look at the ways culture and civilization are at stake. We can be supporting ministries that are staying faithful to their mission. But the point I wanted to make was that one of the most tempting ways Christians can deal with opposition we face is to separate private beliefs from public actions. And it seems to me, based on their statements, that's what they're doing. They're claiming in private or in their personal beliefs that they're being just as committed to Christian teaching as they always have. But in the public actions, they're making they're taking steps that are violating the private commitment. Well, I can do the same thing. 
I can claim one thing on Sunday, another on Monday. I can claim private commitments that I violate with my public practices. I can live in this kind of two worlds idea that separates facts from values. And if I do that, I violate the fact that Jesus is my king and every dimension of my life is to be lived under his lordship. That's the challenge I think we face today. Oh, I think there's no uh, no question about that. Um, and that is really helpful. It's, uh, it's it's somehow easier for me to, you know, point out the public hypocrisy of, uh, let's say, a very large ministry or organization and very difficult for me to recognize the private hypocrisy in my own life. So it is with me. You know, that's where it has to start. The Bible says judgment must start in the house of God. I have no right to ask you to do what I won't do, have no right to try to lead you further than I'm willing to go. So if my personal life doesn't line up with my public life, how can I ask Bethany or anybody else to do the same? Jesus was really clear about that, wasn't he? When he talked about Mm -hmm. lust in the same context as adultery, talked about anger in the same context as murder, God sees the heart, God knows our minds. But we've developed this kind of idea that we can be one way on Sunday, another on Monday, we can separate spiritual from secular and religion from the real world. That is simply hypocrisy, and that's heresy. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. We're to be crucified with Christ. We're to give our entire lives as a sacrifice to God. We're to live holistically for Jesus to be Lord of all of us. So for those of you who um, are interested in reading more, if you go to denisonforum.org, Jim actually uh, has not only uh, a written article about this today, there's a video you can watch as well. Um, Three points that uh, that Jim makes here that the announcement from Bethany— um, proves at least three things. Government intrusion on religious liberty is escalating, something we talk about frequently here. Our culture and civilization are at stake. And three, we need to support ministries who stay faithful to their mission. Um, Jim, I'd love for you to highlight um, what you say after that, which uh, are uh, the way that this story highlights the critical principle for all Christians seeking to navigate our anti-Christian culture. There's going to be people who like they have recognized that there is unrighteous fruit in the culture. But what you're saying is we've actually arrived at the place where the culture itself has become anti-Christian. It has on a level that we've not seen, I believe, in American history. There's obviously for decades been a trajectory that troubles us, whether it's abortion, same-sex marriage, euthanasia, whatever. But there's been this idea that Christians can kind of have their private religion, their private beliefs, and they can just have the right to be wrong, essentially. Well, now all of those issues are becoming civil rights legislation, whether we're talking about the Equality Act or the idea of codifying Roe v. Wade in civil rights or making death with dignity laws into civil rights. If we get to that place, Carmen— then if I'm a, let's say, a Christian foster care service, I can't stay in business unless I adopt children to same-sex couples. If I'm a faith-based hospital, I can't stay in business unless I'm willing to do sex change operations or I'm willing to perform abortions. We're at a place now where we're seeing pressure on Christians to not only have the right to be wrong, but really to conform to the culture because of the trajectory the culture is taking. They see me the same way I see a racist. They see my desire to protect religious liberty relative to foundational values as though I were in the KKK trying to claim religious freedom for bigotry and for prejudice. That's genuinely how they see us now. And my claim is that that's unprecedented. We're seeing that level of pressure on a new level. We need to be ready now, and we need to make certain that our hearts are right with Jesus and that we respond by speaking the truth in love. All right, Jim Dennis and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we are going to focus in on the canceling of Dr. Seuss. 
Um, and then we're going to talk about censorship against evangelicals. These are related topics. And what we want to really focus in on is, you know, how how then do we live as Christians in the culture today? So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. A number of you weighing in um, on uh, on the text line this morning. I genuinely appreciate that. Remember, you can always communicate with me by texting pretty much anything you want. Uh, you know, keep it keep it kind uh, to 877-933-2484. Um, Jim, there are people listening right now who are alarmed. Um, you have just like rung the wake up bell and you woke them up and they have discovered they now live in Babylon and that's not where they thought they lived. Um, and so for those of us that have been maybe paying attention to these concerns and seeking to raise uh, the alarm about it for 30 years, like we're not necessarily at the alarm stage, but we recognize that everyone wakes up to these issues and concerns on a different day and a different stage. So talk with us about, you know, what's sort of trending right now in terms of the cancel culture conversation. And that are that is headlines related to Dr. Seuss. How is Dr. Seuss racist? What is going on? Would we have ever imagined this conversation, which demonstrates what will we be talking about in two weeks or next week or tomorrow that we wouldn't have anticipated, right? So there really is this cultural trajectory, and that's the important thing, I think, Carmen, we need to get behind the news to understand, is there really is a movement here that has in it a very clear sense that if you're in some minority position, you are automatically oppressed. It's what critical race theory teaches. You're automatically oppressed by oppressors, and we have to be looking for places where that oppression could be occurring. Now, I absolutely believe there are systemic racism in America. Absolutely, tragically believe there is systemic racism in, uh, in our penal systems and in our court systems. And we could talk about that. But what we're looking for now is places where we see racism where we didn't see it before. We're looking for that. And, and where we find it, we're canceling it, as it were. That's the trajectory. And Dr. Seuss is an example of that. Obviously, I grew up on this. My kids grew up on this. My grandkids as well. And so now we're seeing headlines where at least six books are no longer going to be published because it's believed that they unintentionally, perhaps, but nonetheless, contain racial stereotypes as regards the way the characters were drawn or the ways that they were communicated, that there were stereotypes that we don't want to be teaching our children. And so we're going to cancel those, going to cancel those books rather than perpetuate those stereotypes. Now, the other side is to say, look, you can find stereotypes pretty much everywhere if you want to. If you're going to be that initiatory, that aggressive, then what can't be canceled? And at the end of the day, do we really have a culture? So that's really the debate going on. And Dr. Seuss is just an example of the larger trajectory. And then let's talk about, um, yeah, the larger trajectory and censorship related to evangelicals, you know, sort of broadly um, and then how we respond to that. How, how do we live in the midst of that reality? The first thing to do is to understand that this is the, the moment where we find ourselves. Uh, we have a sense that God has a place for us, you know, that God calls some people to Texas or to Michigan or to uh, uh, Minnesota. God has a specific place for us. God also has a time for us. It's by God's providence that you and I are alive right now and not 100 years ago or 100 years from now. All of that is part of the providence of God. So let's see ourselves as missionaries to this time, to this culture in which we find ourselves. And let's, as a missionary would, first try to understand 
understand the language of the culture, understand what's going on here. Well, there really is, as I mentioned before, a sense that if you disagree with this culture, it's as though you were raised. It's it's as though you're in the KKK, that there's this kind of belief that we're oppressing others with biblical morality. Understand that. Expect that. Second, respond to it by looking internally. Am I being an oppressor? Is there a place where I'm being racist? Is there a place where I am on some level sinning against others and repent where I need to? And then third, speak the truth in love. Understand that we're not here to win debates as much as to win souls. What matters most is that we draw people to Jesus, that we manifest his love and our love, that we speak the truth with compassion and grace, that we not only speak biblical truth, but we do so with biblical character. That needs to be our prayer every day. Um, Jim, you will appreciate some of the comments coming in and the ideas that are uh, flowing from the gathered community that's listening right now. Um, there are um, there are those concerned that, you know, if Christians had stepped up and fully funded Bethany Christian Services, uh, Bethany Christian Services would not have needed to be reliant on government funding. Um, it's not just government funding, though. Talk with us. Um, I mean, if we can, if this is getting too far into the weeds on the Bethany story, you can just say so. Um, but there's something going on related to government um, oversight and adoption in America that has nothing to do with money. That's exactly right. There are really two other pieces in this. Part of it is your ability to have access to children that need homes. The ability to have people assigned to you for foster care or for adoption services. For a lot of these ministries, they depend on some degree on government relative to access to children that need their ministry. And if they're not willing to adopt these children to LGBTQ couples, they'll never have a chance to serve them. They'll never have a chance to show God's love to them, God's grace to them. So that's one piece of it. And then the larger trajectory is, well, I think we're going to come to a day where the culture could in fact decide if you're not willing to adopt children to LGBTQ couples, then you're not allowed really to do what you do because what you're doing is immoral. Even if you don't need our money, even if you have plenty of children to adopt out, we're not going to give you license to do this because what we believe you're doing is in some sense child abuse or in some sense immoral, in some sense countercultural on a level we're going to regulate. We're not there yet by any means. I'm not trying to suggest that. But certainly we're at the place where Bethany and others need government not only funding but also access to children. And both of those are in play now, plus the larger trajectory we could be facing in the future. All right, and then you'll appreciate this comment as well. This is about the Seuss story. Um, how is this different than book burning? Um, my response to uh, to Reverend Castro on this issue is that you need to check out eBay, where copies of the Seuss books that are uh, listed or delisted are now, um, well, it's about $799 now on eBay to get one. So capitalism is clearly of, uh, of greater interest to people than the banning of particular Seuss titles. And that's one of the opportunities we have in this culture, isn't it? As soon as this came out, they immediately escalated to the bestseller list. And we have an opportunity to work around some of this cancel culture by pushing back in ways that are redemptive and are positive. And that's the opportunity that we have here. I understand the book burning idea. That was one of the metaphors that was early designed. Uh, When Ryan Anderson's book, uh, When Harry uh, Became Sally, was no longer available on Amazon, I saw headlines saying Amazon is doing book burning with Ryan Anderson's book. Well, Mm -hmm. it's not available on Amazon. 
Amazon, but you can get it in a variety of other places. We're not at a place where the culture as a whole, where the government has said, you can't have this book. We're not there yet. And we don't want to be that, uh, what would one say, speak in hyperbole. We don't want to anticipate issues we're not yet facing. We don't want to cry wolf in that sense. We want to be speaking to the realities we find and doing so in a redemptive way. All right. And then you're going to love this from uh, listener Becky. She apparently works at a public library. Um, and one of her little initiatives is every time something is, uh, you know, taken off the shelf or or delisted, um, she just, uh, you know, makes sure that she's the person who picks that book up, um, puts it in a little library in her community or puts it in her church library and then makes people aware that it is still available in her community. There you go. I mean, there is a very proactive way. Maybe church libraries are going to make a comeback, Jim. I suppose they could, and in fact, they should, shouldn't they? That's using your influence for the glory of God. I've been to Cuba 10 times over the years, and I can tell you, Cubans have been doing workarounds the government for 40 years. They've been finding creative ways to meet need and to demonstrate the love and the care of Christ. That's the right approach. That's the proactive, positive approach to take. Well, amen. All right, Jim Dennison, thank you as always for joining us. We love your um, your insights, and frankly, I love the pace at which you speak. So Jim will be back, uh, but you can check out what he's writing each and every day at denisonforum.org, and um, you can actually get on their mailing list and get something from Jim every morning in your inbox. Jim, thank you so much. Carmen, so glad to be on with you again. God bless. Such a pleasure. We'll be right back. All right. I love how robust the conversation is this morning on the text line. Um, keep your input flowing. It's, it's like a group chat. I really appreciate it. So the, the text line number, which is always open, is 877-933-2484. I would be remiss if I didn't invite you to what we're doing on Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central. Uh, we're doing a live stream event focused on kindness. Nicole Phillips and I will be on for an hour, and we need you to join us. Uh, it will be on the Faith Radio Facebook page as well as the My Faith Radio YouTube channel. You can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. And while you're there, join our Mark uh, March Mark reading plan. All kinds of other great stuff going on. So, yeah, check it out on the website, MyFaithRadio.com. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. John Brandon is going to be back. Don Everts is going to be back. And Paul Perot is going to bring us up to date on some really, really important news in the Twin Cities. Yeah, yeah, that's my tease. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.